Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. It's been a very long time since Graham McMillan and I recorded an episode, and then, unfortunately, it was almost as long a time before I edited and mixed it. But today, in our first installment, Graham and I talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths, Siege, and the careers of two very different Brian's, Azarello and Bendis. Thanks for your patience, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. So, uh, this is great, because we've done this such a long time ago. It's like, so, you read comic books, right? <laughs> exactly. Do you remember comic books? Although, I haven't read a lot of comic books lately. I, I'm continuing my being so busy with various things that getting to the comic book store suddenly becomes this crazy luxury that I do, like, once a month. Yeah, it's terrifying to hear you say that, because you're within walking distance of your comic book shop. Yeah, but uh, I'm not always within walking distance. Well, I'm always within walking distance, but not always available to walk, shall we say. Yes. Yeah, no, I know that that's, again, that that's to me where the terror really comes in. Like, oh my god, Graham, you like, you can't know, but, even make it But out. sometimes that's, you know, uh, for example, last week, because we were having a fireplace put in the house, it's not like because I'm always working, it's just that I have to be here for various things or have to be somewhere else for various things. You you, you end up getting overtaken by uh, various things that are happening and all of a sudden you're like, I, I've not read comics in a few weeks. Apart from everything that DC sends to me, DC and Dynamite, I'm still an accomplice. Um, and so, for example, I've read all of the Vertical Crime books, even though I don't like one of the Vertical Crime <laughs> <laughs> But they keep sending them to me and I'm like, maybe this is going to be the one. Yeah. No, it's not. Well, you know, I I never got around to expressing online like how much I really did not like that Brian Azzarello book, and that seemed to be the most positively received it's, one it's so far. Stunningly bad, isn't it? I mean, I, it's not just bad; it's really surprisingly bad. Yeah, the Brian Azzarello one is. I think the Brian Azzarello one is actually the worst of all of them. Yeah, just, just to buck the the trends, but I, that doesn't mean that any of them I would say are. are great right okay um but the azarella one i just feel maybe it's because i expected him to be able to do better oh yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. It, it, it was a i mean horrific a, a, a disaster yeah. i but Azarello, i don't know have you read the you read the batman doc savage thing right no i actually skipped it because it so seemed like it would give me grief that I, I passed on it and you know they've got some like little preview stuff running yes yes for first books. for first wave for the for the, the new series that comes out today as we record right right and i i was like huh this actually seemed competent which was kind of like a a, a step up after finishing that that crime novel so well that was what i was going to say it was better than um whatever the, the vertical crime book was called that I really can't remember. Was it Filthy Rich? Was that? I think that is it. Filthy Rich, yeah. Um, yeah, it was better than that, but at the same time, I don't know. I just, it always seems rude to say that you think a writer is slumming, <laughs> but, but I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's one of those, I know you can do better, and I don't know if you're doing this as some sort of like genre exercise that you feel is important for you to work out, or, yeah, you know... Right. You've, you've secretly always wanted to write Doc Savage or whatever, but... I have to give you points, Graham. I think that's the first time I've ever heard cashing a check as a genre exercise. No, but you know what I mean. Some people are like, I've always, you know, I always think it's important for me to try new things, and that's why I'm writing, you know... Um, right, Superman X and, and yeah, Rich. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but no, there's there's just something. I don't know. I just I want I want more from him. God damn it. No, I I know, and I, I and what's interesting is a lot of people seem to get that from him. Uh, so. You know, who am I? Like I said, I looked at the black and white previews and it's like, I might, I might pick it up because I, I just, I don't know. It, it didn't really seem like a good fit for to me because I sort of feel that pulp adventure is kind of the the opposite of what um, Azarello really does. I mean, even the 100 Bullets stuff is crime, but it's 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 very much comes out of the sort of 90s um, conception of sort of chatty, digressive type crime sort of stuff, yeah. you know? Um, to me, one of the, the things that I appreciate about, um, which I usually talk about all the time, is Ed Brubaker seems seems to have a real founding of the idea of what, what pulp is in sort of the traditional sense, where a lot of it is um, the pleasures sort of come from, like, structure like how how you work in a bunch of craziness and garishness within a relatively tight structure as opposed to a relatively loose and digressive structure i suppose mm-hmm. so in a way i'm kind of like i i really don't think that that uh brubaker was a particularly good fit with dc you know for the most part but and i wouldn't want to take him off the marvel books but looking at the first wave stuff i really have this sense of like if I had to pick somebody who I thought could kind of really do this, I think I would have put Brubaker well ahead of Azarello in that regard. So, I just, yeah, I, I feel that Azarello is just not, not someone who ultimately can do it because I don't think they're interested enough. I think their interest right. is, or, or their interest is in the wrong way. They look at it from some sort of cold clinical point of right. view as opposed to actually caring about trying to make it work as a story. Yeah, yeah, which is is kind of my frustration. I'm never really sure for, after a certain point, I'm not really sure what Azarello is passionate about. And sometimes uh, in a proper framework, actually, I mean, one of the things that I was really impressed with his Doctor 13, you know, uh, miniseries was, is that he actually did a great job of taking something that I'm not necessarily sure that he was that passionate about and doing a really wonderful job with it. So, um, you know, I think one of the things that's ironic for me in the way that I perceive his stuff is he never kind of gets to the point, usually just when I get to the point of being able to write him off and not pay attention to him, he does something that I, I, I'm very, very impressed by. And then the next time I turn around, he's gone and done you know, Batman for Sunday comics or something, and I get all frustrated all over again. So. Whereas I liked Batman for Sunday comics, uh, for Wednesday comics, and, and yeah, I, I don't know. There was, that worked for me in a way that I think his other stuff doesn't, perhaps because I think I approached Wednesday comics from some sort of strange point of this is all an art exercise. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I gave Wednesday comics a much more of a, a leeway to be shit and clinical than I would a regular comic because of the formats and because of, of the, the way it was presented. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, well, yes, absolutely. But I think within the realm of that, there were things that totally drove me up a wall. You know, It was one thing where I felt like there were people who were trying to um, make this work 
you know, trying people who I felt were like, okay, we've got a page, let's start doing stuff, let's start experimenting it, with it, or even getting the sense of like, oh, this is what we have to do to make it work. Um, Azarello kind of makes me feel like it makes me think of a really talented session player, you know, a, a really talented studio musician who like just comes in, lays down his track, and leaves. You know, and it's like, and his and his track is his track. That's what you hire him to do. He comes in, he lays down his six licks of blues guitar, and it doesn't really matter if he's in the middle of an orchestral section or he's been hired to play a bar mitzvah or a birthday party. He's going to play six blues licks and then he's going to leave. He's gonna collect the check and leave. You know? Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can definitely see that. Mm. Oh, this, this all started because I was saying I haven't read anything. anything. <laughs> uh, what a, where where I was initially going with that was uh, I'm also obviously reading things from the Portland Library because I love the Portland Library, mm-hmm. and one of the things I read was the Crisis. What's it called? It's called the Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Compendium, mm-hmm. which is I presume like a second book you got if you got uh, Absolute Crisis on Infinite Earths. That's the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm completely in love with it. It is a timeline of the creation of Crisis on Infinite Earths. That includes the memos that were written during the run-up to the project. Oh wow! And it's just—it's fascinating. I mean, this is obviously me being complete process nerd, but uh-huh. it's fascinating. I mean, there's also a, a um, summary of all the crossover issues and a list of all the characters in it, and lots of things like that. Mm-hmm. But the first half of it is just this timeline. Uh, it's like an oral history crossed with memos from the period. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's great. I mean, they have the note that um, Dick Giordano sent to Jeanette Kahn about Supergirl, which really reads, Jeanette, Biggie, can we kill Supergirl in crisis? I must know soon. And <laughs> then there's three checkboxes, yes, no, or only if we have a new Supergirl soon. Wow, you're kidding me. No, that is the I'd best. like this. They've got the notes. It's this handwritten notes. But like with the actual checkbox. Yes, thing, I'd love that because that's it's, so I mean, like it's it's stunning. And they've got like uh, Mark Wolfman's initial uh, issue breakdowns, which just contain stuff that never made it in. Probably because uh, he forgot. You know, there's yeah. There's also just some like weird plots in there. Like halfway through the series, Red Tornado was supposed to turn into a supervillain, and it's like. Why? At what point, really, who cares? Um, <laughs> well, wasn't there that whole thing? Remember, there was this, uh, the the classic that I remember is, I don't know if Wolfman was just spread so thin, but, like, he had an issue that opened up with the monitor, like, looking at all these, like, panels of the crisis going on, and George Perez, like, called him and was like, Marv, we killed the monitor at the end of last issue, remember? And he was like, oh, oh, yeah, right. Oh, there's also the whole, uh, they don't, they put the monitor in the books uh, running up to it and they don't know who he is yet. Mm-hmm. And then they have to send out another memo going, we've changed. Like, they send out a memo beforehand saying, monitor will appear in all of your books. Right. This is, this is not negotiable. Uh, and he will appear in two issues in the next year. And then they send out another memo going, we've changed our minds about the monitor. <laughs> Stop using them. Do not use them. <laughs> And like, and you know, in the memos, it, got, it admits that the anti-monitor was a placeholder name that they couldn't come up with anything better, and they yeah. just had to use anti-monitor. Yeah, yeah, the anti-monitor, and that they know it's a terrible name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That really is like one of the um, less lazy... surprising revelations <laughs> from Crisis, isn't it? 
It's yeah, it's just uh, they've got like um letters from Roy Thomas complaining about how he's completely fucking up his off his Earth Two stuff. Oh yeah. Well of course, because it's that's and he, bless him, he's trying to be a team player so much. He's saying stuff like, if this is the direction we're going in, then you can always do this and you can tell he's like, You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that that really is one of the things that I thought was kind of um so fascinating is yeah they're doing this whole plan to like consolidate all the earths like not really noticing that they've got books going on that are taking place on other earths you know and it's like huh that's oh no oh no they knew like you can see this they're they're discussing all these things that it's going to happen and and one of them is they know that they're essentially completely fucking up Roy thomas and they they make them all these promises that they then go back on Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm um and i mean there's just it's it's this fascinating fascinating book i i completely i wish they'd issue it on its own so that people who don't want to spend whatever a hundred dollars if not more for the absolute crisis mm-hmm. could read it because it's so great and if i found it entirely by accident i found it because i was looking for something else and i was like what is this oh i must have this uh, <laughs> but it really is i mean it's just so wonderful. I didn't know, for example, that John Constantine's first appearance was actually in Crisis. I didn't realize that that came out weeks before his first appearance in Swamp Thing. Oh, wow. Um, that's, that is a great little piece of trivial information, isn't it? I, I, it's just... And, I mean, to think back to a time where Alan Moore would not have thrown a shit fit about that. I mean, Alan Moore has become so well-known just for hating on everything. The idea that he'd be like, yes, you can have the first appearance of this character. Well, like you said, it was a couple of weeks. I'm sure the scheduling horse wasn't quite, you know, what they intended to be. Yeah, but even even so, like, he he would have known it was happening in the same month. And that strikes me as unusual. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you're right. I think, yeah, he didn't... I mean, honestly, I remember his Crisis issue from Swamp Thing as one of the best parts of Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know? They say the same thing in this book. It's such a a weird and and wonderful book. And um, reading it, I really wished that they do something like this for the Marvel books that are happening right now. (laughs) Seriously, I would love to read... The, uh, an, or, an oral history of like the, the whatever Avengers disassembled through scenes I'd love to read that because you know that would be filled with people just being insane no, but, okay first off apart from Peter Sanderson you know I don't feel that Marvel really has much well first off their book market is entirely half-assed, I think. So their whole idea of like, yeah, we could do a specialty book about this. I mean, maybe in another 15, 20 years, they'll try and commemorate themselves. But like that whole amazing, like, you know, Joey Q and Bill J's like amazing adventures, that hardcover crazy ass thing that they came out after their first two years or something. Yes, which which is just stunning to look back on now. Yeah, I mean, it really is. But even then, I mean, it, it was kind of like, they even in sort of like promoting themselves, they did it in sort of a kind of sloppy, half, who cares, like, this is the story as we want to remember it kind of way, you know? I mean, it would totally be awesome if you got a warts and all, not even a, you know, this, this DC book sounds like it's a little more warts and all than you would expect. 
Um, and that's awesome. But you, I just well, which which you know probably happened because it's twenty years ago. You know, right, they, exactly. they can say things about people who are really no longer the company. Well, yeah, sort of. <laughs> well, really, they can. <laughs> I mean, they can, but I'm like, I don't know. I think I, you know, I mean, Roy Thomas is still alive. I guess he's not necessarily at right. DC. He is still alive. Don't you worry. <laughs> I like how you seem uncertain about that. Roy Thomas is still alive, right? Well, I, I'm, I'm, like, sure, I'm sure if he died, then the Golden Age would have ended. Everyone yeah. would forget about the Golden Age. <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, I, I I feel bad. I sort of half mean he's working because I'm like, okay, I know he's still alive and I believe he's still working in the industry. I just don't think that it's it's been a while since he's done something with DC. Like, it's, But he's been doing stuff recently with Marvel, isn't the classics yes. illustrated yeah, yeah, stuff? Yeah, he's, yeah. yeah. So I kind of had that thing of my, like, he's still actually getting work with the majors. So, I mean, I was kind of... Yeah, but he's getting work with majors in, like, the weird Marvel way. Do you know what I mean? Where they they employ greats from the past and oh, put yeah. them on this weird, mm-hmm. shitty, I don't know, almost like weird charity as if there was blackmail going on. Right. Well, yeah, or maybe it's guilt, or maybe it's just good wages, you know. But yeah, no, Roy Thomas is like the American Alex Nino, in that you're kind of surprised that his name still pops up on credits. But there he is doing, like, again, like you said, the completely weird stuff, you know. Like, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, the classics illustrated, we might as well do that. Who are we going to throw it to? Ah, you know, Roy Thomas keeps taking out his teeth and pressing them against the window. Maybe we should give him work. You know, <laughs> or whatever's happening. But yeah, there's something. There is something a little off about it. But I guess what I mean is, is like I just don't think that seriously, forty years could pass, and I don't think you're ever going to hear people at Marvel turn around and say, um, you know, everyone hated the the conclusion of Bendis' Secret Invasion, and nobody liked the idea of where he was going to go with Siege. Yeah, but, but I, I don't anything. even. I don't even mean like that. I mean, I would genuinely like to see, because Brevoort's done this on his blog occasionally, the memos from the beginning of projects and from the planning of projects mm-hmm. and what they thought the projects were going to be. And the reader can decide whether it actually succeeded or not. Mm. I, I'm not looking for someone being like, ah, that sucked. I'm, although it'd be fun. But <laughs> I, I would just love to see their thinking because for better or worse, Marvel has a very... Has, or at least has had a very strong sense of what it wants to be publishing mm-hmm. for the last, I mean, at least in Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Siege and the Heroic Age is the first sign of uncertainty and is the first misstep that we've seen from them in a long time. Oh, do you think so? Interesting. In, in, term, in terms of their main direction, yeah. Because I, I think I think the heroic age is already being backtracked. Well, I, I think what happened was they, like you said, I think they were ahead of the game. But I, I mean, I want to jump back and point out that I think that you know, as a lot of people pointed out at the time, the misstep was really at the end of Secret Invasion. That that the ending of Secret Invasion seemed very much predicated on the, you know. Obama's not going to win. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I think at that point it was a misstep. And so they moved all this stuff. And and so maybe they're behind the curve. Like the heroic age stuff that they're talking about is basically the stuff they brainstormed, you know, four or five months into Obama's uh, term in office and went, okay, 
clearly this is not where the zeitgeist is. We've misstepped. We're, you know, we're moving kind of not in a direction that's in sync with everything. How do we turn it around? And, and so now they're sort of in the process of trying to play catch up. And they're still like the heroic age suggests that they're even farther behind than they would like to admit. On yeah, I, I guess that's what I mean. I mean, I think the heroic age is the first time where it's looked like they're trying to play catch up. Oh, okay. All right. Well, because I, cause I, I, definitely I think before think that, the even though, misstep, yeah, even though they were um, off on their own little planet with dark rain, mm-hmm. they didn't seem like followers. And right. I think this is the first time where they've seemed like they are uncertain about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, I, I would love to know what the feeling is within that, especially because it feels to me, and I might be entirely wrong, but it feels to me like Siege is in some sense a failure. And I'm not just talking about the sales thing. I just, I feel like no one really cares about Siege. And I include Marvel in that. I feel like <laughs> no one cares about Siege. Um, I mean, Siege, Siege is what happens when they're like, we've got to do the Heroic Age. How do we get there? Uh, fuck. That's funny. I don't even think that that's it so much. Is I kind of get the sense that they have like, that they, they're, they, they've worked well in the past with like folding some of their events in on others like a really good example was the world war hulk thing where it seems like they had that whole idea in peace like that hulk coming and invading was supposed to be part of this the ending of miller's original picture civil war right so clearly that was already kind of in place and they're like well let's fold it in like this and they didn't quite i think the plan was always to have the thor siege storyline thing always be like a, a, an event like a Marvel mini event or whatever and then they were like no let's sort of you know glue this piece onto the heroic age thing that we're trying to get to because um, it really to me it just doesn't seem to make a lot of organic sense at all you know but I mean again I'm not I'm not following the books what the hell do I no, know but, but, you know? but Siege makes almost no sense to anyone, which I think is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's one thing to have a, this is the big climax of our Dark Reign saga. It's another to say, this is the big climax of our Dark Reign saga, which pretty much is a plot that you've never really seen before. For no reason whatsoever, mm-hmm. our villain, who has been really subtle up until now, is going to fucking invade Asgard. Mm-hmm. Which really just seems, I mean, I still think... I mean, it, just, like... it just seems an insane idea. It's like, Why? Why is he going to do that? What does he actually gain from doing that? I, I mean, I, I literally can't think of a reason to do it other than to be like, oh, because that will bring all the good guys back together. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking at it from the idea that Norman Osborn's supposed to be this wonderful manipulator, schemer, bad guy, mm-hmm. there's no upside for him in this. There's literally <laughs> no upside. It's him being like, it's it's they keep on playing this whole um he's overreaching himself, he's power mad. But he's not really. Like as soon as he is, as soon as they do the whole he's crazy and he's power mad, mm-hmm. he just becomes another generic villain. Right. You know? Right. And it, it just it's Siege is like the, they really had no idea how to end it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Well, it's got to end because we've we've planned this other thing. Uh, and the other thing is the heroic age, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, right. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm very like I'm kind of at a, at a stage where I'm like, Meh. 
I, you know, if you guys say so, but I, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not really picking up the book. So in a way it's kind of got that very bad, uh, you know, to use the sports writer analogy that I've, you know, um, have used so often, it's kind of like trying to make an opinion about how a team's playing when you're not really following the team. And in fact, you're barely picking up the sports pages, you know? So for me the it's like, I, I kind of should be saying more like, yeah, you tell him Graham. Cause I mean, I don't really know. I mean, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm kind of like, mm. the, the, the um, nice thing about siege is that the art is lovely. There's a, a double page spread. And I want to say the third issue. That's mm-hmm. just great. That's just really like, oh yes, that's is, almost worth the price of admission. Is that is that the Captain America throwing the shield one or whatever? The, it's, it, there's one where he's leaping and like all the Avengers are behind him. Right. Um, that's just lovely. It's just a lovely, lovely image. Yeah. See, that's actually was my little problem because I looked at the little preview pages and it was tied into like one of Bendis's like. You know, you're going to pee sideways after reading Siege 3, like, you know, IGN preview articles or something. And I yeah. looked at the six pages of previews, and that that image was lovely. But, like, the other images, I kind of felt like I was looking at, like, the Marvel superheroes Siege calendar for 2010. You know what I mean? Like, it was, like, lots of, like... That's what the kids like, wants, Jeff. I guess so, man. But it's Story- all... Storytelling is out the window. Ugh. It, it was it was a lot of dynamic posing against backgrounds. I felt like I was looking at like well, like some have, really awesome computer wallpaper that had been turned into a comic book. Have you seen? You picked up the first issue at least, or have you leafed through the first issue? I have not. Oh, you have to for the last page. Yeah, which is literally one of those. Um, the artist wants to do a dynamic shot, and the story doesn't call for it. No. <laughs> Um, the end of the first issue of Siege is Captain America seeing, I want to say he sees like Norman Osborn's army invade Asgard or something. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a splash of Captain America in his outfit, standing up in front of a television going, what? <laughs> and it's the most ridiculous image. I, I, I can't remember who it was. Someone online was like... So what? Captain America just watches television in his Captain America costume, waiting to be upset? I mean, what is going on? And it's appeared in, like, three different books now. Well, to be fair, that is how I watch television. <laughs> I put on a Captain America outfit and it's get time ready for to loss. stand up and yell. Exactly. <laughs> fear Factor? Again? Yeah, no, I'm totally all about that. Curse you, Jersey Shore? Mm. That's a, that is a lousy way to end a first issue of a big event. You well, know, I mean, it, I can only give the guy... Siege is paced appallingly badly. Four issues, it's stunningly badly. It would seem slow if there was eight. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's kind of crazy to me, is, is like this goes back to, like, this is like the third mega event that, that Bendis has written, right? And, yeah. And he has learned, like, nothing. At least, it, at least with Secret Invasion, he took his formula for House of M and turned it backwards so that it started explosively and then got more boring as it went on. But, like, this just sounds like... I remember reading House of M, and the ending of issue three was literally what should have been the first page of, of issue one. Well, I read um, Secret Invasion in Trade lately, and mm-hmm. it is stunningly bad on reread when you read it at once. The, the pacing is... Really, it's one of those what is the editor doing moments. Um, mm-hmm. Because 
Secret Invasion is a story where literally nothing happens. Yeah. Yeah, it starts off with this big, like, and it's like, it's like everything is going to be different. And you get to the end of it, and you're like, nothing is different. <laughs> and not much really happened. And, and it all happened in a day. And it all happened in New York in the Savage Land. And when I say happened, nothing happened. <laughs> so, I mean, why in a way should we actually be at all surprised? Like, if you have somebody who is turning out work that they're either <laughs> rushing through but is met with incredible success, like, why should they change their game any? Like, I'm sure he's like, this is the winning formula. Like... The, the, the sad thing is, my answer to that is really that I always kind of thought Bendis was someone who cared about his craft more. Mm-hmm. I, I think what you're describing is someone who is a bit of a hack. Someone who's like, well, it's selling, so fine. And I always, up until this point, had thought, had given Bendis more credit than that. Well, and I, I just kind of feel that I was being naive in that night. No, 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 no. You're, you're not, because I actually believe it and I buy into it. And it, it's kind of clear, looking at his tweets, for example, that Bendis is like tremendously proud of the, um, of the fact that he's like teaching a class. Um, in this stuff. And I think that if you look at things like, um, you know, uh, there's tons of stuff in, in powers where there's a lot of real relentless, like panel experimentation. I think when he has the freedom to work more closely with a collaborator that he knows, uh, I, I think it's kind of, for me, when I say this stuff, I guess what I mean is that, uh, it's not so much that it's it's a hack. It's just that, like, when you put the work out and it's rewarded, it's very hard for you to say, well, that could be better or I really fucked that up because everyone's telling you, no, 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 no. This is awesome. And it's one thing where if, like, let's say that you're, you know, writing uh, books, you know, as opposed to comic books, you you have a period of time in which you can kind of reflect on what you did because you're sort of the the pace is so tidal it's just sort of rolling along but you know one of the great attractions to comics is it's very the creators and the artists end up when they're particularly when they get successful and the idea of finding work no longer slows your ability to turn out work um you know you see people sort of thinking very spontaneously. And if you see someone like Kirby do that, you know, it's, it's incredibly energizing, you know? So like, there's a lot of people that, that, so the Bendis ticks are things that serve him well, that aren't necessarily hack shortcuts, but what they are to me, they always read like, 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 uh, like an amateur writer. And I mean, you know, there's lots of great successful amateur writers, even in the field of, you know, Pulp Fiction or, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien was a was a amateur writer because his stuff is filled with things that, that would drive professional writers like up a tree that they were doing it. But Bendis is too in love with his backstory. He he is too um, eager to lay everything out. He's really slow to like when you write a lot, you can be really draggy and getting your action going. Um, but you can't tell that because you're turning out pages and pages and pages and pages. And what you really need to do is like, come back to that stuff 
in a week or two weeks or a month and look at it and go, oh, Jesus, I do not need the first 30 pages of this because this is all stuff that I need to know. This is stuff that the reader doesn't need to know, that they'll pick it up in the course of the story. What's fascinating about you saying that is uh, I want to say it was Twitter maybe. Somewhere definitely recently Bendis has made a comment about about the value of knowing that you start the story where the action begins. Mm-hmm. Like he made that specifically in reference to his pacing of siege. Right. Which just strikes me as having this amazing lack of self-awareness. Right. It, because, is, it is, absolutely is. He's, you know, he knows this, he is mm-hmm. telling everyone he knows this and he is doing literally the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Well, I mean, or even it just let... seems, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't really may just come down to the fact that I'm giving him more credit than he deserves, but I'm always surprised when he does that sort of thing. Well, I mean, I think that he, if you look at him, he would say, no, this is, this is where it starts, where the action begins. I think most pulp writers worth their salt, at least the ones from the thirties or forties would disagree with him. They're like, no, you start the story after the action begins. That's where in media res comes from. You pick it up where, Everything is already happening, and the the reader ha- wants to know, you know, what's happening and who are these people, and you set up a lot of questions. But, like, Bendis's whole thing is like, oh, if you start it when it begins and you play things out, I mean, he came from this background, at least with the, with the writing with Marvel, where he was dealing with, you know, Bill James did not want any flashbacks whatsoever in his comics because he thought they were confusing. Um, and so that leads to like, well, if you do that, then you can't really, it, it's harder to in media res your story. So I think Bendis is like, I think he really does believe he's starting the story at the beginning. Like um, House of M is a good example. His idea of, of where the story begins is when Magneto, you know, uses the Scarlet Witch to remake the world. My idea of where House of M should begin is when Wolverine realizes that the world isn't what it's supposed to be and and is and is like right in the instant of falling out of his old hello whatever. Oh, hello can you not hear me i can only barely hear you we're at the cutting off points apparently You're oh my god You're what, right. what happened is this is what i heard my idea of how to begin the story is <laughs> Quick, let's hang up and recall each other, and then you can tell me what your idea of beginning the story is. It's something about Wolverine waking up, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is, of course. I'll call you back in just a okay. second. Bye. <laughs>